This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to go ahead and uh, read verses 1 through 20. Now, this 1 Corinthians 15 is an amazing chapter. It's the great chapter on the resurrection, our Lord's resurrection and our resurrection. Now, there are, there are many topics involved that Paul uh, talks about, so we are not going to be covering the whole chapter. And uh, as, just depending on how the morning goes, we'll see. So I'm hoping to, uh, to at least cover verses 1 through 20. And then if I cover them too quickly and I still have time left, rather than uh, bringing up a stack of notes, how I've done in the past, that sort of my, was my security blanket, I'll just go right to the Word and just keep reading past verse 20. So can't go wrong by uh, reading the Lord's Word. Shall we read? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain also. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful word. <clears throat> Lord, there's so much detail in this passage. The great news is contained in this passage. The the saving gospel is contained in this passage. Lord, we thank you for this word. Lord, would you uh, be with my words this morning? And uh, may the hearers be touched. May their eyes be enlightened, their hearts be uh, invigorated. And Lord, would we walk out of here with a renewed 
uh, sense of awe uh, with what you have done for us through the resurrection. And Lord, for those that are here this morning who are not quite sure, in fact, they're beginning to doubt, their worldview is beginning to clash with the perfect worldview, your word. Lord, would you um, reveal to them the truth, the truth that's contained here. And um, we just thank you. We just thank you for this time. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So going through 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, last week, Pastor Chris was here. It was nice to see him. He was here visiting from uh, Arizona. He covered uh, chapter 14. Last week also happened to be Communion Sunday. My wife and I were upstairs uh, with the 5th and 6th graders. And while normally we end about 10.30, last week we ended more like 10.45. So I figured, since we put in more time last week, an extra 15 minutes, that to balance things out, I could finish 15 minutes early. <laughs> that means I only have to be up here 30 more minutes. I don't, think that will, I, I don't think that will fly, so let's give it a go. Talking about the resurrection, it's, it's, it's wonderful to think about. I think about eternal life, I think about things like the bodily resurrection of Christ, which Him being the first fruits means that we too will have resurrected bodies, and I, and I think about the Lord, I think about His design, I think about His purposes. A few weeks ago I had a chance to uh, meet with our young adult pastor, and uh, we had a chance to spend some time at, at one of the family's houses, and we were talking about spiritual things, we were talking about immaterial entities, we were talking about angels and demons and things like that, and what's the difference between human beings and angels, and why is it that angels don't have bodies and that we do have bodies? And it was a great time overall. And I'll tell you, if you want to sharpen your faith, allow high school kids and older to uh, be at liberty to ask you whatever is on their mind. And, and your faith will be sharpened because you'll be driven to the Word to find the answers. And so with that, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about the original design that the Lord had for humanity. If I turn back to Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to be uh, hitting an awful lot of scriptures today, I'm pretty sure. And so if you just want to sit back and listen, that's fine. If you want to try to keep up, that's fine too. But uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what if Adam and Eve had never partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, they wouldn't have sinned, and they would have lived eternally. So God's original design 
is that you and I are to live eternally coexisting in the immaterial with the material. The mind and brain, the body and soul, united eternally. And so until our Lord returns for the second time, until the dead are raised, those that have preceded us in death, and we too, if the Lord tarries, as some would say, we too will live for a time without our bodies. But the ultimate purpose for you and I is to be reunited with our bodies and to live eternally in a physical state. So I want to make a, um, an argument. I will be making some arguments this morning. I want to make an argument for the fact that you and I are both material and immaterial. And so if you're here and um, you don't put a lot of stock in the Word of God, then this argument would be good for you to hear. And this argument comes straight out of uh, a philosophy class. This argument comes straight from the laws of logic. And for those that have been in our classes, you know that well, there are three laws of logic. Sometimes we will add a fourth call, called the law of rational inference. But the laws of logic, the, the first law of logic is the law of identity. In other words, something is itself. A equals A. And so, if that is true, that a thing is itself, then if what could be said about that thing, A, let's, let's use me for an example, Joe Kelly. If what could be said about Joe Kelly is true about the person who lives at 1142 Zircon Street in Corona, then that person that lives at 1142 Zircon Street, Corona, and Joe Kelly would be the same individual if what could be said is true about one is also true of the other. So if the person that lives at 1142 Zircon Street in Corona, the man in his 50s, drives a white Dodge Ram truck, and Joe Kelly drives that same truck, then we're talking about the same entity, Joe Kelly. Now, if what could be said about me is not true of the person at 1142 Zircon Street, then we wouldn't be the same person. And so, in that regard, the law of identity, if what could be said about my physical being cannot also be said about my mind, then my mind and my brain would not be the same entity. So, if a surgeon can go into my head and look at my brain, and he can describe exactly about my brain and the brain function, but he can't tell me what my thoughts are, then what is true about my brain is not also true about my mind, and therefore my brain is not my mind. And if my brain is not my mind, then part of me is physical and material, and part of me is non-physical and immaterial. And so you and I are, uh, we would say that we are um, dual. We, work, we are two. We are physical and non-physical. 
And so Paul gets to that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so I just wanted to point that out, that an argument can be made that we are not only physical beings, but we are non-physical beings at the same time. We coexist. So now I want to look at Paul's purpose in writing chapter 15. Paul had been dealing with an awful lot of issues in the Corinthian church. Sexual issues, marital issues, strife, division, dissensions. Uh, you had uh, fellow believers using the, uh, the court system to sue one another. You had people taking advantage of the Lord's Supper. You had divisions in the, in the, in the church service. So you had all of these issues going on in the, in the church. And uh, Paul says, and I'm going to go right back to chapter 1, the opening of Paul's letter. He sa Paul says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, he's writing to all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. That would include you and I. So this letter, highly applicable. Now if you were to go through 1 Corinthians and pull out all the issues going on in the Corinthian church and just isolate them, and you didn't, you didn't know that somebody was telling you what was going on uh, about this group of people, no way would you think that they were talking about a Christian church. But they are believers. Paul says to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. How do the sanctified treat each other that way? You had rampant sexual immorality, complete disrespect between the sexes. You had a, a misuse of the Lord's Supper, communion. And yet Paul calls them the church of God in Corinth, sanctified in Christ Jesus. And he calls them saints. Those are holy ones. He calls the believers in Corinth saints. And then goes on and tells them everything they're doing wrong. And it's not only for them, this letter, but it's for those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in every place. So this letter is for you and I also. And he begins chapter 15 by saying, now I would remind you. So he's writing to us, and he says, the church in Corona, living truth, I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, unless you believed for no good reason. So Paul's reminding them, and I think what he's essentially saying, and this is prior to him making an argument for the resurrection, is that the, the remedy to what ails you as a church is to 
remember and go back to what the essentials are. To remember the gospel that I preach to you. To remember the gospel in which you claim to stand. To remember the gospel which saves you. That's what you have in common. I had a uh, chance to meet a, a very nice couple this morning. I got here later than normal. And uh, one, uh, Pastor John called me over. I got to meet a very nice couple who are visiting and are involved at a, at a different church. But I can tell you what. They claim and stand upon the same gospel that I stand upon. And they are my brother and sister in Christ. And, and likewise, I them. And so, with that being said... Paul is making it very clear that he wants them to remember what it is that unifies them. And it is the gospel message. It is the gospel that he preached to them. And from that point, he then says, and now he's going to tell them, he's going to remind them of what it is he taught them originally. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received Paul spent a year and a half with the Corinthian uh, in Corinth on his second missionary journey he left Athens he went to Corinth in fact let me turn there Acts chapter 18 After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Claudius was the emperor, commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers. So they had something in common. They had the same trade, the same skill. They made tents. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. I've never tried that one before. Sharing the gospel with somebody and they reject you and your blood be on your own head. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Now here. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. What is it that they heard and believed? What he's reminding them of in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that what? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, 
and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. That's what he's reminding them. Acts 18 says, And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So Paul stayed a year and a half with the Corinthian church, teaching them this. And he gets this report on all these problems and all the questions they ask. And he's addressing all these questions. That's why it's such a long letter. A few months back, I, uh, I taught on a Wednesday night, and I taught on the resurrection. And I, I did it, uh, I came at it from an apologetic standpoint on, the, on the, the veracity of the gospel accounts. And so we looked at uh, certain facts that critics are willing to grant um, the text. Certain facts that those that aren't Christians but are historians, New Testament historians, ancient historians, and are willing to grant based on historical methods of study facts that they would grant and say, yeah, we accept that, we accept that, we accept that. And showed that if you take what the historians accept, things like the fact that Jesus was buried, facts, uh, things that, that they accept like, well, the disciples experienced something, they experienced him risen. Uh, facts like the birth of the church, and how, how do you explain that? So when you, when you take the facts that the critical historians are willing to accept as historically accurate, you can't come to any other conclusion but that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Was anybody here for that talk? Jim. Oh, Susie. So we had a couple people here that night. Well, I want to make another apologetical argument, but not using the Gospels. And here's why. Because New Testament critics, historians, love Paul. Paul is like the, um, the darling of New Testament critical studies. And that's because Paul's letters were written early. That's because Paul was raised a Jew. He was raised as an intellect. He was raised as one who opposed the gospel. Um, he was well studied. And he was a late convert. He wasn't a disciple. He wasn't discipled by the Lord. And so he therefore isn't biased according to the critics. So I want to um, go through a, it shouldn't take all that long, a, a, a timeline. So I want you to think about a timeline. And I want to go through this timeline. And it's based on taking what Paul says and figuring out when he first received the gospel. Because that's important. Because here's the thing within uh, historical, ancient historical studies. Historians can only um, 
determined historical facts based on the materials that they have, materials, uh, manuscript evidence and things like that. And so if we're not talking about the New Testament specifically, but other events, other people, historical figures, uh, say like if you, they wanted to know something about Julius Caesar, they would study Tacitus, the historian, or some, you know, somebody that wrote about him. So in this regard, we're going to take something that Paul wrote and determine how early it is that he believed the things that he believed and how early it is that he wrote what he wrote. Now, he's giving us some hints. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So the message that Paul was giving to the church at Corinth is a message that he received. And then he lays out what that message was. And he gives us this, what, uh, what, what many theologians would say is a, a little miniature creed. So he's got this creed. We know what a creed is, something that we recite. Something that uh, we recite that mentions what our beliefs are. And the church throughout history has uh, many creeds. Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, the Nicene Creed. There are liturgical churches that, that recite the creeds. And uh, the creeds are good. Uh, the, uh, it's like a synopsis of what we believe. And this is, even a, this is like a micro-creed. Uh, the uh, tape's coming off, Nate. Never mind, got it. Nate said, my ears are much smaller than Pastor Michael's. <laughs> and he had to put tape on there to hold it. So I don't know if Pastor Michael's going to listen to this or not, but he's going to be preaching next week, so he better listen and know where I end. So, so uh, Paul says in, in this little mic, micro-creed that he, that he delivers what he received, and here's what he received Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the twelve. And the reason why, they, uh, why it's determined to be a creed is because it's cadence. It has a cadence to it. And in the original language, the way it's composed, it's easily memorizable. So it was easy for the early church to memorize. And so if we look at not only what Paul said, if we go to the, 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 the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John, the passion story, the resurrection account in Matthew chapter uh, 16, actually at the end of 15, 1537, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. There's Jesus dead. Verse 46, Joseph bought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. He's buried. He's dead. He's buried. 16.6, do not be alarmed. You, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. He is raised. Dead, buried, raised. That's Mark, the earliest written gospel. Matthew uh, chapter 28, Luke chapter 24, John chapter 20. Basically the same account. We go to Acts. I know I'm going through this quickly. Um, go to Acts chapter 2. Peter, verses 22 to 24. Men of Israel, hear the words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, 
as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death. Jesus died, Jesus rose. Acts 3, chapter 14 to 16. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. That was the, uh, he's speaking to the Jews, and that's when the Jews said, crucify him. And they said that to release Barnabas and not, uh, Barabbas and not Jesus. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. That was Acts uh, 3, 14 through 16. Acts 4, 8 through 10. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if you are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, they had just, they had just healed a man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, Crucified, raised from the dead. Acts chapter 10. Peter took to Cornelius. Peter says that they put him, Jesus, to death by hanging him. God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. We have gospel accounts. We have uh, Peter in the book of Acts. We have Paul in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13. This is, before, this is on Paul's first missionary journey. Paul's preaching the same message. Paul uh, at Antioch. And, uh, verse 28, 13, 28. And though they found him in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Jesus executed, he's dead. He's buried, laid in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee. Died, buried, raised, and appeared. So we have a consistent message. Now here, here is the timeline that I want to tell you about Paul. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians around 55 A.D. Paul was in Corinth in 51 A.D. We know this because uh, Galileo is mentioned, and he's a pro-councilman in uh, Acts chapter 18. They only served for a year at a time, and we do have inscriptions that he was there as proconsul in uh, AD 51. And that's when uh, Paul was there. So the book is written in, in uh, 55, 1 Corinthians written in 55. That is, for argument's sake, 25 years post-crucifixion and resurrection. If we place the crucifixion and resurrection at 30 AD, for argument's sake, 25 years later, 
is when Paul is writing 1 Corinthians. That is a, a blip of time for, for ancient historians between an event and its recording. But it gets better. So Paul is, preaches in 51 AD. So now it's not 25 years, right? It's 21 years. But it gets even better because we know that Paul was preaching in his first missionary journey, right? And then it gets even better because if we go to Galatians, if you go to Galatians chapter 1, Paul says, For I would have you know, this is verse 11, Galatians 1, 11. Now listen, the reason I'm doing this defense, the defense of the resurrection, because the resurrection is the ultimate essential of your faith. The resurrection, without the resurrection, you and I have no future. We have no hope. And there are people in this room right now who are doubting their faith. There are, there are people that I've read about in the news recently. In fact, I've talked about this at home. I've talked about this with friends. It's been discussed uh, even with some of the young adults here at church. A gentleman who was a best-selling author, I might as well say his name, it's all over the internet, doesn't matter. Um, he's the one that came out and has now walked away from his faith. Joshua Harris wrote a book when he was 21 years old. He, it was called, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. That book became a bestseller. Now, this has nothing to do with the merits of the book or the merits of his philosophy regarding courtship and dating. Uh, but what I'm getting at is this Joshua Harris was raised in a Christian home. He was uh, homeschooled. He, did all, he was part of a family that you know, was uh, very influential in the homeschool movement. He was a pastor for a number of years, a very large church in Virginia, married with three kids, and just recently in the not-too-distant past, he hung it up. Walked away from his wife. I don't know the details. No longer a believer. I'm not going to make an argument one way or the other. <clears throat> Can you lose your faith? Was he, was he a Christian and now he's not? Or was he just never a Christian? Not important for, for what we're looking at. <clears throat> but when Paul says... I preached to you with that which you received in which you stand. He wants us to stand. And it's that by which we are being saved. So what you think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the, of ultimate importance. There is nothing more important. And so if, if I can say anything that would help bolster your faith, because perhaps non-Christian scholars give credence to what Paul says and they can place his teachings early, 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 right after the resurrection, then we have an account <clears throat> that is unparalleled when it comes to 
um, studying historical, ancient historical events. And so, if Paul wrote in 55, he preached in 51, and he says that this is what he received, then he received it before 51. And if he preached it on the first missionary journey, he preached it before 49. And so when Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we know that his conversion was about two years. So around 32 AD, Paul's converted, give or take. He's converted around 32 And what does he say? He says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, verse 16, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, Paul says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Conversion at 32. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, now we're talking about AD 35, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas or Peter and remained remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. He stayed with Peter for 15 days, 35 AD. We know what Peter preached. What do you think they talked about? The whole, the whole book of Galatians is about the gospel message. What do you think they talked about for 15 days? Do you think they talked about the gospel message? Do you think they talked about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Absolutely they did. So we can put Paul's preaching and confirmation of the gospel that early. Another interesting little passage about Paul, beginning in in chapter 2 here. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Paul went back to Jerusalem. Now we're to the late 40s. Okay? And he says he went there in order to make sure, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. There's that word again. Paul goes up to Jerusalem one more time in order to make sure that that which what he was preaching was accurate. In order to make sure that he was Uh, preaching the right message. He wanted to make sure it wasn't in vain or of no use. And what happens, he says, beginning of verse 6, and from those, this is chapter 2, verse 6 of Galatians, and from those who seem to be influential, I get a slight chuckle at this passage, and from those who seem to be influential, John, Peter, and James, they only seem to be influential in Jerusalem. He says, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. 
Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. There was nothing Paul was leaving out. John, Peter, James added nothing to Paul's message. He had been preaching the right message the entire time. Amen is right. Paul says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Paul had the right message. He had it the whole time. So when he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then we know that when we stand on this message, we're standing on the gospel message. And when we're standing on the gospel message, we can be unified. And all these issues that Paul was talking about all throughout the book of 1 Corinthians don't have to be our issues too. That's why he's reminding them. Paul says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. So he appeared to Peter. Then he appeared to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive. You want to check my story? Most of whom are still alive. Go ask them. Though some have fallen asleep. And this next verse gets me every time. It's one of the most precious verses. Let me do something real quick. I go like this. So I put that in my pocket. That was just a prop. I've just seen people do that. That doesn't mean I have sweat on my brow. It just means I'm, I had to think of something. So, wait a second. Then he appeared to James. You know who James was? James was one of his brothers. Wasn't a follower. In fact, they thought he was a little bit off his rocker, didn't they? They thought Jesus was... Would you go get Jesus and get him in here? We look in the uh, book of John. I think maybe in Mark, too. So he appears to James. What do you think he said? And then James becomes one of the church leaders, leader of the Jerusalem church. My brother's off his rocker. Jesus 
resurrection, makes a special appointment to see his brother, James. Remember when Thomas fell down? Not until I put my finger in the hole, my hand in the side, my Lord and my God. I think James probably said the same thing. Then he appeared to the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to also to me. We could all put our name in there. Paul says, from the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church, guilty of murder. Paul's guilty of murder. And he appeared to Paul. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. No, it wasn't, Paul. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. I want to encourage you this week to find somebody to preach to. Find somebody to tell them the good news. Don't be afraid to share that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That is the message that saves. That is the message that we need to stand upon. That is the message that overcomes all the differences. You know, we, the, the church in America is in shambles right now in many ways. There is division all over the place. There are cultural issues happening that have taken on the, in many respects, the sort of supplanted or usurped the truth of the gospel with a, maybe a different gospel and create unbelievable division. And when I look out at this church, I, I, do, I see diversity. I do. And that's the diversity that the world thinks is important. But it's not, because we know that eternity is filled, will be filled with those who stood on this gospel message, who stood on the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they will come from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And nobody has a monopoly on God's truth. The church is exploding all over the world. And for that, we should be thankful. In fact, the church is highly persecuted in many parts of the world. From Asia to Africa to South America. And so, keep them in prayer. But it's the gospel message. And when, when Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain also. Then I could say it to you too. If Christ has not been raised, then you being here makes no sense. If Christ has not been raised, why are you here? For what? 
but Christ has been raised. Christ has been raised. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. We thank you for the chance we have this morning to think about the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. And Lord, as we look forward to the coming weeks, Pastor Michael, uh, unpacking the rest of this chapter, we know that we will look at the fact that Jesus is first fruits. He rose from the dead as the forerunner so that we too have the hope of one day also being reunited with our bodies. And Lord, it will be glorious, and it gives you great pleasure that that is how we will spend eternity, although we may not completely understand it, but that is how we will spend eternity. We will know each other. We will recognize each other. We will enjoy a, a material existence, and you, you gain great satisfaction from blessing your people. And we see that Jesus ate and walked and talked post-resurrection. Not that he needed to eat, not that he needed to walk. But with that glorified body, he was able to do all those things. And Lord, we will be able to do many things with our glorified bodies. But to praise you and glorify you will be the greatest thing that we can do in our glorified state. Lord, would you send us out this week remembering that our faith is rooted in the resurrection. And without the resurrection, there's no other essential by which we can be saved. And so as, the, as Luke wrote, Acts chapter 4, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe also in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So Lord, may we recommit to that belief. May we recommit to confessing with our mouth and may you settle our hearts so that we know that we have that salvation. Bless these wonderful people, Lord, and bless their week. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.